0: Hello there and welcome to the BNP Paribas Wealth Management Voice of Wealth podcast. I'm Edmund Shing, CIO, and today with me I have Professor Andrea Mayer, who is Professor of Medicine and Healthy Longevity at a number of esteemed universities, the National University of Singapore, uh, Amsterdam University, and also the University of Melbourne. So welcome very much. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Andrea. You are, of course, an expert on everything to do with healthy, long-living, avoiding age-related diseases, and many other things besides. And today, that's exactly what we want to talk about. We want to talk about how do we live well for longer? Because clearly, that is the challenge that we have today in the Western world, well, in the world generally, that we are faced with aging populations. And how do we live well into our 70s, our 80s, and potentially even beyond? And I think that's the real question. So let me start with a general question, Andrea. Are we tackling this issue well today? And if not, what are we missing? and What can we do better just generally?
1: That, that's a good, good question, because we have a fantastic healthcare system. And I think we should be very proud. And what we're seeing now after developing in the last 50 to 100 years, that we can cure diseases and we can care for the ones who are diseased, we are learning much more that we are a little bit too late in the disease stages, that we do not prevent diseases. And I think that should be tackled in the next coming, not today, but also in the next coming 10 to 20 years, that we learn how to prevent all the age-related diseases we have at the age of 60, when 60% of the 60-year-olds have at least one or two chronic diseases.
0: So basically, Andrea, I mean, The medical model clearly tends to be about treating the symptoms once they appear. But what you're saying is that actually what we need to do, particularly if we want a a productive healthcare system dealing with these longevity issues, is to think about them well before to deal with prevention. And I'm guessing you're thinking about diet, sleep, exercise, all the usual things that we're told over and over again, but which we seem to be fairly bad at, at putting into practice. We seem to rely too much on our medical system and maybe... I mean, I would argue maybe not enough in ourselves. Would that be a fair thing to say? And and if so, what can we do ourselves to prevent getting into this, um, you know, becoming subject to these age related diseases later in life?
1: Yeah. So I think first we should tackle what's happening in our human body. And um, during our lifetime, our body accumulates damage because we are just using our body every second. Now we are using it and you are listening and you will use it. So that damage leads to age-related diseases and then eventually to to death. And around about at the age of 20 to 30, take a 25-year-old, we can easily measure how much damage already occurred. And while testing the bodily functions or blood markers, it's very easy already at very early ages to to see that damage. And of course, then at the age of 30 to 40, you recognize yourself or I, um, that the bodily function is going down, that um, I don't have the cardiovascular fitness anymore. So and that's then really giving how well your body was aging, and we are calling that biological age. And the biological age is quite different from the chronological age. And individuals who have a higher biological age, so that's really the age a body has, Uh, If that's higher compared to the chronological age, then there is really time to do interventions to really um, drive down the biological age. And that's your second question, um, because what can we do if we have accelerated aging uh, symptoms like um, your bloody glucose level is a little bit higher, your blood pressure is a little bit higher, or you're seeing the gray hairs, which are all biomarkers for a, a higher age and of course then lifestyle uh kicks uh, kicks in um and diet is very important physical activity sleep um the environment where we live what we do is very important if we have friends lots of social factors and of course then um there are very nice um, uh, things like repurposed drugs and new compounds and maybe we can touch on that in a uh, in a in a couple of minutes, what else we can do than than lifestyle?
0: So uh, this is a very interesting point because you talk about the biological age versus the chronological age, and that fascinates me, or that scares me at the same time. Because I know how old I am chronologically, I'm not sure I want to find out how old I am biologically. Because if it's, I it <laughs> Sorry
1: but let's find it out well yes. Yeah,
0: so so one question is how do you determine that and as you said maybe you can just measure gray hairs or your relative fitness and things like that and blood pressures and obvious other uh, and maybe the level of cholesterol in the blood all these sorts of things are maybe the obvious markers um and 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 but talking about the lifestyle in particular let's say my biological age is higher than my chronological age now um that might be through drinking smoking but it might also be due to, what, not enough exercise, not enough sleep. What are the obvious things we can do to try to improve our biological age relative to chronological
1: age? Um, First is the lifestyle factors, as you already touched on, and that are certain diets. For We know that intermittent fasting will help you to lower your biological age, but most importantly is to have a body mass index. So that's a kilogram weight divided by height squared, that that's low, round about 18 to 22, not, not higher than 22. And of course, it's, it depends a little bit on the age group uh, you are in, but at, uh below 80 years. Uh, it should not be higher than, than 22. So eating less, that's very important because one of the challenges, societal challenges we have is obesity. So in terms of diet, it's eating less. It's more physical activity. Um There are very exciting studies looking at how much resistance exercise training do you have to do. So how much weightlifting do you have to do versus cardiovascular fitness, being on a treadmill or jogging outside. And we know that every step counts. So every more movement you can make will be helpful for your body. And I'm not talking about uh, running a marathon, please not every day, um, because that can even be harmful. But regular physical activity is very important. Sleep hygiene is another one uh, being underestimated. But we know that uh, we're asleep. Um, Either the quality or the quantity is associated, for example, with dementia, So really making sure that you know how your quality is of the sleep is very important. We have lots of variables which can matter uh, that. And you already touched on smoking and alcohol. I will not touch on that because I think that's general knowledge. But also making sure that your environment is that you have fun and that you really like living because we know based on our mental mood um, and how well we are feeling, our immune system is really differently regulated. So people who are, have fun in their life and they, they really love uh, being on Earth, they uh, are reported to have much better immune systems than the ones who are more depressive and um, uh, don't like to be on Earth. So that's actually
0: a very interesting point you make there, Andrea, because I think this is something that's very, very underestimated. I mean, generally in a medical, medical profession, we, I think we do underestimate the impact of mental health uh, maybe it 's becoming you know this idea of mental wellness is suddenly becoming en vogue now, but it seems to be something that we 've ignored in um, relative to physical diseases for many many years. But what I find today is that again you 've mentioned depression and i find th- find that very interesting and 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 again depression tends to be treated very often with drugs because you know I guess doctors don 't really have time to 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 come up with other treatments because they take long, cognitive behavioral therapy, take a long time, all the rest of it. But I think it's quite interesting what you say that, again, if you have a good circle of friends and family, for instance, you have a good social network, and you interact with them, that avoids depression, but that leads directly to physical improvement in your immune system. That I find interesting. It's not just a mental thing, but it is literally your mental state affecting your physical state afterwards, one leading to the other.
1: Absolutely, because, um, feelings are in the end, um, biochemical reactions in our brain. And biochemical reactions means that cells release something and that will be in the end, you can find that in the, in the blood. And what kind of cells are in the blood? These are white blood cells. So, and they are reacting if you are contracted COVID, for example. That's our immune system being on the forefront, um, really on helping us not getting sick. So it really makes sense that we do not have to look at individual organs, uh, in our body, but we have to. And that's what we are learning at the moment in the last 10 years, I would say that we learn how organs are interacting with each other so we also learn that if somebody has a higher glucose level for example that that is related to dementia for example or how the brain is functioning and we know how the muscles interact with the brain so it's a wonderful network of uh, a sort of concert between all the organs and cells interplaying with each other so moving
0: on now moving on now andrea to a specific issue with with aging and longevity which is Obviously, um Alzheimer's. Now, obviously Alzheimer's is probably the becoming the most one of the most prevalent age related diseases we have in the world today. And again, we I suppose we could talk about treatments, but there aren't very many, and we, we you know, there is one introduced by biogen, which as you as we mentioned before the podcast, it's somewhat controversial, so let's not go to go into that now. But my question to you, Andre, is more along the lines of again, avoiding Alzheimer's what can we do apart from what we've already mentioned for instance does brain training help i mean there's been a lot of talk about brain training mental exercise things like learning a new language or new musical instruments as you get older does that really help um and are there other treatments we should be considering alternative medicines like chinese medicine for instance i mean obviously you're based in singapore at the moment so i'm guessing you do have quite a lot of exposure to alternative chinese medicines which have been around for let's be honest thousands of years and you know I can't believe that they wouldn't have existed for that long if they didn't work. But are there things within, let's say, acupuncture or other Chinese treatments that may also help that we need to consider?
1: Yeah. So first of all, if people are making the right, the good lifestyle choices, then there's a reduction of dementia, by around about 30% of risk. So lifestyle is really powerful, and especially... Uh, the physical activity, the dietary component is, and, and non-smoking, of course, is very important if we would like to prevent Alzheimer's uh, disease. And, uh, yes, having worked and still working in, uh, in cognitive, um, outpatient clinics where we evaluate the cognition of aging individuals we we have to make sure um that the interventions we apply are evidence based and there was i'm not saying that's that uh, for example chinese medicine the traditional one is not working absolutely not i'm by the way a trained chinese traditional um medicine specialist so i did my courses and went to china and it's a wonderful way of looking at the body the problem is that we don't have yet evidence In terms of the academic evidence that any of the treatments help at the moment, we don't have that for, for drugs. Most of the drugs do not work, uh, or not in a way that it's clinically uh, significant. We know that, um, more physical activity. So really the lifestyle choices uh, work. And you, um, mentioned the cognitive training. Yes, absolutely. That works. Um, if we are looking at our muscles, we always say if you don't use them, you will lose them. Mm. It's absolutely the same for the brain. If we don't use our brain, if we don't interconnect with friends, family, if we don't read books, etc., then we will lose the capacity. So we have to do daily training with our, our brain. And um most efficiently is actually to have training of your body. Namely, physical activity, and do then do some cognitive training next to that. For example, um, talking while walking—that really is stimulating for for the brain, but also for your muscles. So you will antagonize the aging process by doing so. <laughs> That's
0: interesting. Okay, so okay, so as regards Chinese medicine, we can't say it works or doesn't work, but we just don't have the evidence at the moment, um, and hopefully we will in the future. But as you said, Andrea, we do have evidence that a lot of these lifestyle choices make a big difference over time. And the earlier we start, obviously, the better the better it will be. So I have a controversial question for you, which is that, should we retire? Should we retire? Or actually, is it better for, because this is, I mean, I you know, you laugh, but this is something I've been considering. And I, I don't really understand why people want to retire if you do something you enjoy. Now, of course, that's the key point. But if if you do something you enjoy for a career, maybe okay, you want to slow down, but why would you stop? Because, as you said, if mental stimulation is so important for our not just mental but also physical health in the long run and avoiding these age related diseases, maybe we should just carry on working.
1: Absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's maybe not, we shouldn't talk about retirement age, but what do you do with your body and your brain? And you have to stay active to not aging more fastly, so that's most important. And of course, the retirement age of some countries, um, for example, the country where I grew up in Germany is 65 five years, and that really uh, comes from uh, from the 60s, so um, when the life expectancy was much lower, and we didn't really adapt that. And uh, at that point in time, on the last 10, 10 or 20 years, we really discovered that maybe it's harmful. When well, we did a couple of studies of it, because when you are 65 and you're retiring, one-third of the individuals really love it. So it's really the second or the third life. So they go studying again and they go on vacation and they do really great things. There is the other um, one third really trying to find their way and they really don't know what they should do every day because the normal activity would be, yes, you're at work from, from 9 to 5 and you do things um, uh, you like or somebody told you to like. Um, And there is one third and this is really the the risk group who will be very sedentary and who um, will not have other activities in their life and who will um, uh, gain a little bit of weight, have a low physical activity. And that's the risk group really having then lifestyle uh, diseases in the end, age related diseases like uh, a stroke or dementia or um, diabetes, uh, etc. So we really should I would say see at the age of 60, what does a individual want to do? What's the capacity? Make it nice, uh, the work that really somebody loves it, because I think that's very important that we look at, um, work as a opportunity and not just that, but we have to do it and, um, really look at possibilities that we could extend the, um, the The lively work uh, of individuals that people can make choices, but um absolutely, if you think no uh, i don 't want to retire, please do not retire
0: <laughs> no but i it 's important isn't it i think you're I think what 's interesting so what you 're saying is not about retiring or not retiring, but it 's about not necessarily changing your lifestyle, particularly for something more sedentary you don 't want to be going from one day working full time to the next day sitting in front of the television, drinking beer and you know, just going down the wrong road, basically, because uh, as you said, the level of your physical activity and mental activity go down at the same time. It is sort of almost like a a shock to your system, which is the danger in the long run, isn't it? Because then you're really starting to serious damage to your biological age at that point.
1: Yeah, we need certain rhythm in, Mm. in our life. And we have circadian rhythm in our body, But we also have a rhythm um, that somebody is waiting for us. So we learned from centenarian studies that the centenarians, first of all, they never retire or a large proportion never retire. Um, And what they also said, but yes, I'm not working anymore, but at least I have twice a week. These activities, I go to church on Sunday, not that going to church is associated with longevity, but what it brings is really... That weekly activity or the daily activity that people um, will record if you are not there and people ask how you are doing, etc. So I think um, we really have to watch the space of what we are doing, how uh, activities look like in the next coming 10 to 20 years, and really um, be able to develop ways how we can bring all the individuals either back into the working space or make it fun that they even not um, um, not enter or, or that, that they're rejected off the, the working space. I don't have a better word than rejected, but if you're retiring.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but as you say, you need to replace it with something else. You need to replace it with other, other objectives um, in life, basically. I think that, that, that would be the point, isn't it, really? And Whether you, know, you, you could replace it with a number of different interests. I know a lot of people who do that. And therefore, their level of activity does not go down once they retire. it just shifts to as I say, their different interests. Maybe charitable work for instance could be is, is one obvious wonder or teaching I, I find it's quite interesting to to look at teaching as a way round because you have a lot of experience at that point in life, which maybe it would be great to convey to younger people and that's that's maybe a good way. you have a, a bit of a career change as it were, but you don't retire so what I wanted to do, Andrea, is now look a little bit about the innovation, because a lot of what we focus on here is innovation in healthcare. And my impression has been certainly since the COVID pandemic, and even before that, we were seeing a shift change in, in healthcare and medicine, in terms of more and more innovation entering the system, more and more productivity entering the healthcare system. So in terms of new uh, types of treatment, for instance, or new developments in drugs, I was thinking, of course, of the mRNA technologies, or CRISPR, or there are, I mean, obviously gene therapy, there are just so many new technologies out there, which to you, when we're looking at the age related diseases, such as Alzheimer's, of course, obesity sort of in there, all the various cancers, which tend to strike us when we get older, are in there, which types of new innovative therapies do you find most interesting right now, and most exciting for the for the next few years?
1: Yeah. Um Before coming to the intervention, then there were therapies I would like to touch base a little bit on that we can measure the biological age of individuals, mm. and I think this is this is so great because we can take blood and while doing omics studies where we look at lots of particles in the blood, either being lipids or being hormones, that we can predict the risk of somebody how Likely that somebody is to have age-related diseases or or to die. And um, next to particles in the blood, we can look at our epigenome. So we have DNA in our cells, and there is a layer on top of the DNA which is called uh, epigenetics. And uh, based on the methylation of the DNA and where it's methylated, we can actually quite nicely predict. If somebody will have an age related disease or is going to die and what the likelihood is. And the combination of all the omics data together with the, the methylation and the epigenome, um, this is a wonderful tool we are going to apply in longevity medicine, which is a new species, I would say, within, within medicine, really focusing on preventative, uh, uh in a preventative way of looking at a in a body. And while having now markers for the biological age, actually, of a human body, when we are intervening, for example, with lifestyle, but also with repurposed drugs, or with new compounds we are testing, we can see if the body reacts positively while applying again these kind of markers. And that, for the first time, really enables us to check how old you really are, and if interventions work. In terms of intervention, there's a huge arena at the moment around senolytics. And senolytics are a new class of drugs really trying to tackle senescent cells. And these are cells who are old, not dividing anymore, and accumulating during lifetime in our body. And they are very likely negatively influencing the surroundings, so other young cells. So the entire idea is to bring senolytics into the body and to remove senescent cells out of the body. And there uh, cleaning up the body a little bit and making a body younger. So that's a huge uh, innovation that we can not only detect senescent cells, but we can also intervene um And we have a couple of drugs at the moment. A, a secondary of a second one, a really a huge field at the moment, which huge potential is the use of repurposed drugs. And repurposed drugs are drugs like uh, metformin or lithium or rapamycin. All these drugs are at the moment used in clinical practice. I'm an internal medicine specialist. I have a huge amount of patients where I prescribe these kind of drugs in higher dosages. And we are now trialling worldwide, if we would give these drugs to classically healthy individuals, but with a higher biological age, can we prevent the occurrence of age-related diseases? And that's so fantastic. And it's such a mind shift in, in medicine. So, so
0: in a sense, what we're talking about is not so much treating the age-related diseases once they occur but again it's coming back to preventing them happening in the first place uh, either by the do- diagnostics or certainly starting with the diagnostics to, to figure out who's more vulnerable and then using preventative treatments to avoid them actually getting the age-related diseases later on a little bit like maybe healthy people taking statins in their 50s and 60s to avoid them getting blood clots later on and having heart attacks so that's the sort of idea, isn't it? It's, it's taking the, or even taking aspirin to avoid the heart attacks later on. But we're just taking it a stage further with different drugs to tackle. And, and this is quite interesting you say you can remove the old cells from the body. That's, how, did, how does that happen exactly? I mean, I'm fascinated. How on earth do you get the drugs to do that? I mean, where do the cells go?
1: Senescent cells have a mechanism uh, and that's a little bit downregulated, that they don't undergo cell deaths. So normally um, we call that apoptosis. Um, we they are preventing suiciding themselves. So they are still in the body, and um, drugs who will activate that mechanism to yeah to 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 activate suicide actually in the cells is the way at the moment how it's done. But we can also manipulate, for example, the immune cells. That the immune cells. Uh, see which cell is senescence or not, and then just eating the other cells.
0: Ah, okay. So you, what are they called? The phytophage? Yes. Okay. So you either create cells that eat the dead, the, eat the old cells to get rid of them that way, or you trigger the normal process of cell death that should have happened, but for some reason isn't happening. Uh, because that Absolutely. way they get to regen. So that's going to be the regenerating process, because that's right, isn't it? That in our body, I mean, this is the whole question of, how much of us is really us because of our bodies regenerating. The cells are regenerating all the time, I think, except for our brain cells, perhaps, all the other cells in the body are always regenerating. So we're always replacing ourselves. And that's the normal way of things, right? And I guess Absolutely. This, is, and this is the way that we can talk about, because I've heard, you know, if you go to the far end, there are people who are talking about extending healthy lifespans to 100 years plus, or or even, you know, of course, you know, the, 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 the holy grail of eternal life. Now, that's still extremely controversial and most people don't believe that. But what you're suggesting is that maybe that's not quite as unbelievable as you may think if these treatments, preventative treatments, and if these diagnostics really are to be uh, you know, very effective.
1: Absolutely. So um, longevity medicine is really trying to optimize the body functions, not at the age of 60, but from the age of 20 onwards. And they even... Healthcare professionals are right now looking at um, even pre- before a birth that, um, that, that we optimize the health of a, of a baby, of a young child. But especially when the entire body deteriorates and that occurs at the age of 20, 25, um, we really have to optimize bodily functions and therewith maintaining health. And the entire paradigm shift that you're just going to the doctor if you already have symptoms, um, that's changing. While, for example, annual screenings or a screening every five years, um, how your body is really functioning and different organ systems uh, are functioning. And while having so much new um, research within the biomarker field, where we can really detect the biological age, this will be... Um, much easier to do. It will be much cheaper in the future. And there was achievable, hopefully, to implement in, in healthcare.
0: And I guess this is one area where the sort of in, the massive increase in computing power helps because, of course, calculating all of that and then processing all of that data that you will generate via these various tests is something we can do today that maybe in the past we couldn't. And as you say, we can do it younger, we can do it earlier. Um, so in a sense, what you're arguing is, if we really want to relieve some of the pressure from ageing on the healthcare systems globally, what we actually need to do is put into pre- place these preventative measures, these regular testing measures, measuring biological age, measuring some of the most obvious markers, um, and then obviously promoting wellness programs alongside of that, lifelong wellness programs from your 20s onwards. So again, promoting healthy diet, healthy yeah, exercise, and, and, and of course, mental health, wellness as well, from an early age to prevent the problems later on in life. That's really your point. It's not that we tackle this from the 60s and 70s onwards. It's no, you need to tackle it from much, much earlier to avoid getting to that point in the first place.
1: Absolutely. And the key terms are really digital phenotyping, biological phenotyping. And start at the age of uh, 2025, mm-hmm. really have the passport uh, of yourself in the pocket, uh, maybe on your smartphone, that you regularly check what 's your weight what 's your sleep quality what 's your physical activity what 's your glucose level, et etc, and while doing so you can learn so much of your body, how you react to different stressors or conditions um, that that you will obtain much more health than um, you, you you would believe now
0: mm. so in a sense, a lot of the innovation is not so much in the new treatments but much more in terms of the diagnostic the diagnostics themselves, testing ourselves, uh, knowing our vulnerabilities, and then dealing with that up front and measuring, as you say, the various obvious characteristics that we, we can easily measure actually with us fitness trackers or with health trackers. And that actually may be much more innovative in dealing with the age related diseases than any sort of subsequent treatments later on. In a sense, the point is not to rely on the treatments, but to deal with this much more earlier in the earlier in the in the sort of process early in the life in one's life cycle.
1: Yeah, but but also reacting then with interventions if you mm. think okay the body is not on track. And there are lots of dietary supplements which are tested at the moment to see if if it really can lower the biological age. So there is a huge number of trials at the moment where uh, we we test not only repurpose drugs and I just gave you a couple of examples um, pills, but there are 20, 30 more being tested at this moment in time, but also the new compounds and um, uh, the, the biologicals, which are tested uh, at this moment in time to see how we can lower the biological age.
0: So one final question for you, Andrea, which is a, a very simple question. Um, should we all be eating plant-based diets? Does that really make a difference to our biological age? Because I've, I've heard both competing stories that some people say you should just go Atkins. And go protein heavy and that can obviously bring down obesity and, and improve your health that way others say no a plant-based diet is the way to go uh, is there any evidence one way or the other
1: at least you will save the the, the planet
0: <laughs> but as, as far as our health goes does it is there any is there any <laughs> big evidence because I I, I I see i see a lot of conflicting stories and i'm not sure what to believe
1: look you're asking a vegetarian (laughs) (laughs) okay so if the if the if the if
0: the professor in longevity is a vegetarian that's what i should that's what i should take from this right (laughs) (laughs) if the experts are vegetarian that's probably a good that's probably a good answer
1: (laughs) i think um please invite me to the next podcast where we really talk about different uh, diets because so much controversy and we also because we only take okay what kind of diet is good these questions we shouldn't ask. We should ask what kind of diet at what age is important. Because while we are aging, our, our body needs, needs different, for example, amino acids, a different amount of proteins, etc. At the age of 80, 90, when sarcopenia occurs, low muscle mass, we really have to give lots of proteins. However, there are lots of evidences that we shouldn't do that at the age of 20 to 30. So um uh, w- watch the space and, uh, I think we cannot just answer it by, by half an, uh, yeah, a couple of minutes. <laughs>
0: Well, that's fantastic. I think I think that's a fantastic place to end this time, Andrea, and I'm sure we'll be having you back to go into this in some more detail in a future podcast. But for now, thank you very much, Professor Andrea Mayer, and uh, thank you very much to our audience for listening. And we will be back very soon with another podcast from BNP Paribas Wealth Management, The Voice of Wealth. But for now, thank you very much and goodbye.